0: The, the first time we went through, the pages were all blank, and then the second time, it had pictures that were in black and white, and then the third time, the pictures were all in color. So I don't know how you did that, but that was amazing. That was incredible. So yes, I want one of those too. What? God is pretty magical. That was a magical, holy Bible. That was awesome. So, <laughs> well, good morning. It's good to see you. It is uh, good to have a little bit of warmer weather, right? you feeling the spring coming in, the new life coming in.
1: Um,
0: it's always a good thing. It's always a good thing. So let me start us off this morning with a question. Does anyone here desire more joy? Anyone? Anyone desire more joy in their lives? I do, Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about fleeting happiness that comes and goes, depending on what's happening around us, but true, true joy, that's what I'm talking about. Deep, abiding joy that nothing can shake, no matter what's happening in your life or in the world around you. This is joy that fills you to overflowing with peace and hope and contentment. So I'll ask you again, who desires more joy? Yes, (laughs) good. Well, today in our scripture passage from Matthew 13, Jesus tells us two parables about that kind of joy. He tells us where to find it and how to get it. And these are very short parables, but they are packed full of treasure. In fact, they're so treasure-laden that we're going to spend all of our time this morning on just these two short parables So if you are a diligent bulletin reader, you might notice that the uh, verses listed there go to verse 53. But this week as I was working with the text, it was turning into like three different sermons. So we're going to stick to one sermon today just on these two short parables because they are so rich. They are so good that they deserve to be savored slowly. Like a good meal, you don't just scarf that thing down and keep going. You you savor it. So that's what we're going to do this morning with these parables, is savor them, give them a lot of time and attention. So as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46, um, let us pray for the Holy Spirit's illumination. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word Your holy scriptures that illumine to us your goodness of the life that is possible with you. We pray that our hearts and minds would be open to all that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great worth, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Did you hear the joy? In both parables, there's a man who finds something of great value, and in his joy, he goes and sells all he has in order to buy this one valuable thing. A modern day equivalent might be if you found a winning lottery ticket, one of those Hoosier lotto tickets that promises you like millions and millions of dollars to its owner. You'd be pretty excited if you found one of those, right? Anyone would be excited? Anyone? Yeah. 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 (laughs) You'd be pretty excited to find one of these tickets. But so you find this ticket and then the cashier says, Well, hold on, that's gonna cost you two dollars. Would you do it? Would Yeah, would you give up these two dollars for a multi-million dollar winning lottery ticket? Of course you would, and with joy, right? This wouldn't be an act of drudgery. Well I guess if you're making me give you these $2 in my pocket, no, this would be such a wise and beneficial investment. You would do it with joy. The sacrifice that is being asked of you in comparison to what you are receiving, there's no comparison. It would be so worth it. Folks, that's what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. It is a treasure of tremendous value, and once you find this treasure, we would be foolish not to acquire it, no matter what the cost on our side. So this is the answer to our first question about joy. Where do we find true joy? Jesus' answer is in the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, as he elsewhere calls it. It is in God's unshakable, everlasting kingdom that we find abiding joy and peace and hope and contentment. That is the winning lottery ticket. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. This is the treasure of great worth. So then just what does Jesus mean when he talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? And this is really important because Jesus talks about this a lot. If you read the Gospels, you're going to hear this over and over and over again. Leading up to these two parables, Jesus has already told five other parables about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He speaks about it a lot. Well, to try to summarize it briefly, it's, it's a, a thick and rich concept, but to try to summarize it briefly The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is life with God. It is life lived in union with the triune God, according to God's will, according to God's ways. Now, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it is already here, but it is not yet complete. Jesus talks about this a lot. He says the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is here. It is among us on earth in part, but it is not yet complete until the coming age when Christ returns. So let's unpack that just a little bit. Many of us get this not yet part. We understand one day Christ is going to return. The dead will be resurrected. We will live face to face with God for eternity. It will be such a glorious age, right? an age of no more sin or decay or suffering or death. In this new creation, all of life will be perfect as God intended according to God's will and ways. It will be just as God designed it. We will be in perfect union with God. That's when it will be complete. We're not there yet, but it's coming. Isn't that good news? That Amen. That day is coming, and that is such good news. But as Christians, we don't just sit around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for that day to come. We don't just sit around waiting to die, to be ushered into God's presence. No, we don't just sit around and wait because Jesus has promised that the kingdom of God is already here, right now, In part, it is not yet complete. We all know that. We still suffer from sin and all of its consequences. But Jesus does promise you can experience part of it. You can experience glimpses of it here, now, in this life. The kingdom of God is among you. Right now, in this very life, we can experience God's kingdom joy and peace and flourishing And that, too, is really, really good news. Do you want to experience God's kingdom joy? It is available. It is available to you, and that is great news. And that's why Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God is available to you. This treasure is available to you now if you seek them. God wants to live in union with you. He wants to give you a rich, joyful, meaningful life. But he says you have to seek it. I'm not going to force it on you. If you seek it, you shall find. So Jesus tells us, seek it, actively seek it, and you will find it. And when you find it, Jesus says, do everything you can to acquire it. Do everything you can to acquire it. It's going to be so worth it. Just as the men in these parables, they sold all that they had in order to acquire this valuable treasure, so too does Jesus teach us that life in the kingdom is worth trading in everything. And it's not with drudgery that we do, so I guess I have to give this up. But we do it with joy because this is a really good investment. It is the best investment You could ever make. So, Jesus talks about the joy of the kingdom, and it's important to grasp the joy of the kingdom and what is available to you in life with God. And it's important to get that first of how much of a joyful treasure this is, because Jesus says it is going to cost you something, it's going to require an investment a really big investment. In fact, it's going to cost you your entire life. Jesus says later, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So this is the investment Jesus calls us to make to trade in everything, every aspect of our lives in order to gain the greatest treasure of all, which is life lived in union with God. But trust me, Jesus says, trust me. You have to understand the joy that is in this treasure because it is so worth it. It's like trading in a measly $2 for a multi-million dollar lottery ticket. You have to understand this. It is so worth it. From a worldly perspective to you, it might sound like a hefty price. You might want to hold on to that $2 with all you've got. But trust me, what you're going to receive in return far outweighs that. Trust me, it is worth everything. It is worth your entire life to live in the kingdom of God. So let me give you just some practical examples, because you do this on a daily basis. If, if this is seeming theoretical or um, it's just lofty, just think of some ways that you, you've practically done this, or you've known people who have done this. So I asked Larry's permission for this. So Larry and Ruth Simpson, they've been on this health journey for the uh, past couple years, right? And uh, you have had to make some sacrifices, right? Giving up some things you really enjoy eating, um, giving up some time to help other prepare meals. Ruth has been doing a lot of meal prep and and exercise. But would you say it's been those sacrifices have been worth it? Absolutely. We have our lives back, is what Larry says. It's I'm sure it felt hard. It's felt really hard at times, right? To say no to some things. But you feel like you have your lives back. There's new life and energy that you're experiencing. And so I'm sure at the outset it, it looked daunting. But now it feels life-giving, right? Yeah, no insulin. There you go. See? Wonderful. See, it's a, a real-life practical we do this on a daily basis you say no to certain things in order to say yes to something greater and at the outset it might seem really hard and in the process it's gonna maybe feel hard but it is so worth it like Larry said you get your life back that's what Jesus wants for us to give your life back true life life as God intended it This has been on uh, my mind lately as I stand here before you just about three-ish weeks away from a baby coming in. And um, I have been thinking about the kingdom of God with with this baby and our our two-and-a-half year old daughter too. Because some of you might know about three-ish years ago, I I learned that I have a, a health disorder, an endocrine disorder called polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. Perhaps you have heard of it or you know other people. It's who have it. It's largely on the rise um, with young women. And here's the thing. It's a leading cause of infertility. Yeah. So when I learned this, it was devastating because Brandon and I really wanted to have children. And so I was told you might not be able to have children because of this thing. So I went to some experts about PCOS, uh, health professionals, and they said, well, there's no cure. You can't just take a pill or have a surgery or fix it, but we can help you through lifestyle changes, a whole life approach. If you say no to some things, yes to some others, we might be able to help you have children, naturally. So it took a whole life approach. Like... Your food and exercise and and sleep and stress and emotional health and and toxins and all this stuff, the whole gamut, like it's a whole life. You got to just, it's not going to be overnight. It's not going to happen all of a sudden, but if you give over your whole life, then this new life might be able to come. And I do not say this self congratulatory in a self-congratulatory way. It was really hard. It was all the grace and power of the Holy Spirit to make these changes. It was all community support, husband's support. But we were able to make some changes, and about a year later held a sweet little baby girl in our arms named Lillian. And now we're about to welcome another one. And some people would ask, How, wasn't that hard making those changes, uh, giving up some things? Yeah, it was hard at times. But you know what, to hold our baby? Oh my gosh, I would give up those things and a million more a million times over for the joy that it was to have that child. And that's kind of how it is with the kingdom of God. It is all the grace of God. It is all the gift of God. Because this life that is formed within us, I didn't do that. That is all God. I didn't make this body. I did not make our children. God has done that. But I had a choice to make. Whether I was going to position myself to let that life flourish. Or whether I was going to choose my own ways with some bad habits that I had. And some... um, Things that were not leading to life. I had to learn to say no to those in order to let God give the life. Does that make sense? Yeah. There are some sacrifices to be made, but it leads to much greater life. It's like trading in $2 for a multi-million dollar lotto ticket. God is the giver of that life. God does all of it miraculously. But we have a choice to make on whether we're going to position ourselves to be instruments where that life can flourish or not. We have to choose whether we're going to say yes to God and no to self-destructive self-kingdom of self things, or whether we're going to keep living in a way that does not flourish life that God intends us. So folks, that's what the kingdom of God is like. It is a whole life approach. It requires surrendering everything to God Not just an hour here or a a quick Bible reading there. It requires your whole life approach, your time, your energy, your thoughts, your finances, your relationships, your work, your leisure. All of it, God says, give to me. As in the parables, the men sold all that they had. It requires dying to self in all sorts of ways. It's not an easy one time shot. Jesus says, Die to me over and over and over again, and I will give you abundant life, I promise. So the question is very practically speaking, how do we go about living this out, this Matthew 16? How do we go about dying to self, losing our life for Christ's sake? How do we go about positioning ourselves to say no to the kingdom of self, no to things that draw us away from life with God, draw us away from the abundant life that God offers? And how do we say yes to Christ's life, to the abundance of life and joy and peace that Christ wants for us? When we read this verse, uh, many people just automatically skip to the story of martyrs, those who have literally given up their physical lives for Christ, those who have been willing to make a stand for God and God's ways in the face of evil and injustice, which has resulted in the loss of their physical life. Perhaps one day you or I will be forced to make that kind of stand, though I pray not It's a possibility, and if we do, I pray, we would remember these words and Christ's example. For most of us, though, I think that losing our lives for Christ's sake, saying no to the kingdom of self and yes to the kingdom of God, it means doing something that actually can feel a lot harder over the long haul, and that is denying ourselves day in and day out. Not just the one-time thing, but day in and day out, saying no to self and yes to God. Day in and day out, saying no to trying to navigate my own life, saying no to living how I want to live, according to my desires. Instead, saying yes to Christ, following Christ wherever and however Christ leads me. Losing our lives is saying no to the kingdom of self and kingdoms of this world, and instead saying yes to the kingdom of God, whatever it requires. Death to self leads to life in God, and that's where true life is found. So to help us in this true, it, to live into this true life that God offers, I have an invitation for us. It is an invitation to the Linton practice of giving up and taking up. Giving up and taking up. Sorry, I was told that sometimes my hair hits the microphone. Really good microphone. Thick, unruly hair. Not a good combination. (laughs) All right. So, as some of you might know, this Wednesday marks Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of the season of Lent. Anyone heard of the season of Lent? A few Yep. Lent is a season of 40 days, not counting Sundays. It leads up to Easter. These 40 days, they represent the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness, enduring temptation of Satan and preparing for his public ministry. So for centuries, many branches of the Christian church have practiced Lent as a time of fasting and preparation and repentance in preparation for the celebration and joy of Easter. So I invite us to join with the global church in that practice. So next Sunday during our morning worship service, we're going to commemorate the beginning of Lent by the imposition of ashes on our foreheads. And so that'll be next week to look forward to. But before next Sunday, I want you to spend a week prayerfully considering these two questions. What will you give up? And what will you take what will you give up? What will you take up? During Lent, I invite you, God invites you, to live more fully into God's kingdom realities by giving up something or some things that might be pulling you away from the life God has for you. And then in place of that thing, because you don't, whenever you make a vacuum, you need to fill it with something else. So in place of that thing, take up something that's going to draw you deeper into life with God. So give up, take up. Give up something that's drawing you away from God. Take up something that will draw you closer to God. So you might be thinking, what what is it I should give up? This is not, some people use Lent as like a self-improvement project, a weight loss strategy, something. That is not the right perspective, because this is about getting away from kingdom of self and towards kingdom of God. God. So it is not a self-improvement project. It is humbling ourselves before God. So what is it that should we give up? And the answer is anything that we're clinging to, kingdom of self-wise, more than God. Is there anything that you feel inordinately attached to in your life? Anything you find yourself relying on more than God for your comfort, for your security, for your sense of worth, For your meaning, whatever it is, perhaps try giving it up for these 40 days of Lent. So, this is going to be different for everyone. That's why I encourage you to spend the week really praying about it. So, here are some examples to get your mind rolling. These are some examples that I've known lots of other people to do in our modern age. So, I've known some people to give up, uh, do a technology fast. Today, you know, technology is really prevalent and it's really easy for us to rely on our social media accounts or television or Netflix when you're bored, when you wanna pick me up, when you wanna find connection and meaning just to go to a screen. Now technology isn't bad, I'm not saying technology is bad. It's a great tool, can be used for great things. We know that. But sometimes if we find ourselves looking for our joy and our peace and our purpose in our Twitter feed or in watching our sports team, rather than in life with God, we're robbing ourselves from the life that God intends for us. That's when we drift away from kingdom of God realities. So perhaps for Lent, God is inviting you to give up your Instagram account or that half hour of TV you watch at night or whatever it is in place Do something that's going to draw you into God's life. Pick out a Bible reading plan or a good book that illumines God's goodness and beauty. Now that the weather's warming up, take walks outside. Thank God for his creation. Pray. Find somewhere you can volunteer. A lot of us say that we don't have time for these spiritual practices, but if you say no to some certain things in your life, you might be surprised by how much time you have for these. So, perhaps try that one. See what happens. Maybe you are a person who has found yourself to be too dependent on some kind of physical substance. Maybe it's something as simple as caffeine or sugar, and you just can't get through the day without it. Or you have a turbulent emotion come up, and and that's what you turn to rather than God. I've been there. I know what that feels like. It's, it can be a roller coaster, right? Maybe try giving that up for Lent. Cut down on your coffee intake or your Twinkie intake or whatever it is that you are relying on besides God. It's a very real thing. Perhaps you'll find that God wants to bring you the energy you need. God wants to bring you the healing you need. Instead, pick up a practice of calling a friend Or, again, praying, reading scripture. Perhaps you'll find that you've been living outside of God's will by simply overextending yourself, and your body is just saying, help. You're saying yes to too many things, and I need help. So maybe saying no to all those things is going to invite you to say yes to God's limitations. Sorry, I can't run on three hours of sleep. That's just not the way God made me. And so an invitation into asking God to help you um, live into the way he's created you to live. Perhaps that's one for you. Maybe you find yourself on the other end. Maybe you find yourself underextended. You find yourself just kind of wasting away your days doing a lot of nothing or just doing self-serving pursuits. Maybe God is inviting you to take up some kind of service for God's glory, to enjoy the gift that it is to serve in God's kingdom. Maybe this year for Lent, God is inviting you to take an honest look at your relationship with money. If you haven't listened to Pastor Brandon's sermon from last week, I encourage you to find that online. There's no doubt that money is a huge idol in our culture. It's one thing that all of us are too easily attached to. It's an attachment that can seriously get in the way of our life with God. Now, it's important to note, again, that money is not bad, just like technology isn't bad. It's a wonderful tool. It can do lots of good for God's kingdom. Jesus' ministry was supported by wealthy individuals who gave to Jesus and his disciples to provide for them. Money is a tool that can be used for great good. But the danger comes when we invest it the wrong way. When we invest it in the kingdom of self rather than the kingdom of God, for things that won't last rather than things that do, as Brandon preached last week. So maybe this year for Lent, God is inviting you to examine your heart's attachment to finances. Maybe you are going to be invited to go on a spending freeze to, to cut out some of those things that aren't necessary. The Starbucks lattes or frozen Cokes or the restaurant visits or those deals you just have to buy right now, and instead invest that money in some good kingdom work, maybe picking up the practice of tithing to the church or giving to a nonprofit or cause that is participating in God's kingdom work. You might come to find that you have way more joy in helping to feed a child in Africa, than you do in buying a new sweater every month. That's been my experience, and I hope it would be yours too. So, to give you an example of that joy, we're, we're gonna close with one little story that I found actually just this Friday, and it just, the wording seemed to fit so perfectly with this text that I just wanted to share it with you and to wrap in some of our uh, sports fans here. So I heard this on the Good News Network. Has anyone heard of the Good News Network? I encourage you to check it out. A couple of people have. So they tell stories of good news that is happening around the world. And for me, this is like a little glimpse into God's kingdom at work. Not everyone on there are Christians, but it's people saying no to the kingdoms of this world and kingdoms of self and saying yes to things that are very much in line with the kingdom of God, just doing really good work around the world. So this story on Friday is, who knows who this guy is? Anyone? Kareem Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That's right. So I had to learn a little bit about him, but I guess he's a really big deal in the NBA world. He's like the leading scorer all time of the NBA. He's won all sorts of titles. So Kareem, as you can imagine, he's acquired a lot of treasures over the years. Can you imagine? Money, trophies, championship rings. It's kind of a big deal. Now, the kingdom of self, kingdoms of this world, would tell Kareem, keep all of that for yourself. That is the smart thing to do, Kareem. Hoard it for yourself. Invite all your friends over. Show it off. Tell them how successful and worthy you are. Now that you're getting to be an older man, you're going to want these to prove that, like, I used to be able to play basketball. You know, boost your self-worth. Keep all this stuff for yourself. But Kareem has chosen a different path. Instead, get this, he's selling all of his stuff. He's selling it all. His trophies, his championship rings, his jerseys, those cool goggles that are so famous. He's selling it all. And he's giving the money to underprivileged kids. And when asked why he decided to give away all his stuff, Kareem said it was easy. He said, Keeping those possessions felt shallow. He says, when it comes to choosing between storing a championship ring or trophy in a room or providing kids with an opportunity to change their lives, the choice is pretty simple. Sell it all. The choice is pretty simple. Sell it all. Sounds a little bit like the parables we read, doesn't it? The choice is pretty simple. Keep all this stuff for yourself, stuff that's not going to last, or invest it somewhere and experience the joy that it is to participate in God's kingdom work in the world. The choice is pretty simple. Because, folks, the true treasures in life are not found in our stuff, or they found in our reputations, or in the ways we look, or the accomplishments. The treasures of great worth are in the kingdom of God. They are found by living in union with God, participating in God's will, in God's ways. That's where true joy lies, when we die to self in order to come alive to Christ. So this week, consider, what will you give up What will you take up? How might you die to self in order to come alive to God? And following Jesus, it is costly living in the kingdom. It is costly from a worldly perspective. Jesus is clear about that. It's going to cost you everything. But the truth is that not following Jesus, it costs way more. And I'll close with this quote from Dallas Willard. He says, non-discipleship. Not following the ways of Jesus. That cost is abiding peace. A life penetrated throughout by love. Faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. Hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. Power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. And sure, it costs exactly that abundance of life... Jesus said he came to bring. Who wants that kind of life? A life of joy and peace and love and faith and hope. Does anyone want that kind of life? Then let us together follow Jesus in seeking first the kingdom of God, saying no to kingdom of self, yes to the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the treasure that you make available to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift that it is to be able to participate in your kingdom realities, the gift that it is to be able to receive your joy and peace and flourishing. We look forward to the day that is to come when we will experience that in fullness. And we thank you for the opportunity to experience it in part now. We ask you to give us the guidance and strength to say no to things we need to say no to in order to say yes to you. All of this we pray in Jesus' glorious name, which makes the kingdom possible to us. In Jesus' name, amen.